Good morning, everyone. Please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. For those who weren't here two Wednesdays ago, I preached through um, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And I would like to reread those two verses and then continue on with verse 13 through 17 this morning. So 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, not having your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, Fear God, honor the king. May God bless the reading of his word. I began preaching through the book of 1 Peter back in February of this year. And this is the first time that I've um, preached consecutively through a book of scripture. So this is somewhat of a new experience for me. And I believe there's a lot of benefits that come from preaching consecutively through the Word of God, and I don't have time to go into all of the reasons for that, all of the benefits. But one of the struggles or challenges, at least from the standpoint of me as a preacher, of of following this method of preaching through the Scriptures, is that sometimes you come to texts of Scripture that you'd rather not preach. And for me this morning, I can say that this is one of those texts. And I can also say that I'm not preaching to you this morning with any motives, with any hidden agendas. This is the text that is before us this morning. And I'm preaching to you out of a God-given duty to preach the whole counsel of Scripture. And I believe that this sermon is very applicable and very necessary for us, as difficult as it may be to deal with this face-on. And as I've studied this text... I have struggled to allow, to not allow my own thoughts and opinions to take precedence, but rather to allow my thoughts and and the message of this sermon to be shaped and governed by the Word of God, especially in the points of application, which we'll get to this morning. And I would ask that you would pray for me this morning, that God would use me to speak truth clearly Um, to teach, to encourage, to strengthen his church, and that by and through this message, um, we would all be um, built up and strengthened and have true biblical conviction. So this morning, in terms of outline of where we're going, um, first of all, I will um, just open by establishing the context, sort of create the setting of where we find ourselves here. 
Then secondly, I will explain as clearly as I can what it is that Peter is actually saying here in this text. And then finally, I will wrap up with the application to this message. And I want to begin just by, I guess, addressing or acknowledging what some might call the elephant in the room. That is the fact that this text of scripture is very applicable to the current circumstances that we find ourselves in, this pandemic and everything that's involved with this. And I understand also that there's a lot of strong viewpoints um, of how people would interpret this text as well as um, Romans chapter 13, which speaks on submitting to civil authority. And I pray that this morning we would all gain a sense of clarity um, and that this, through the study and the preaching of the word this morning, that it would help you to answer biblically the questions that are in your mind, questions that you have like, how do I properly obey this command to submit to the government? What do I do when I feel that the civil authorities are not being reasonable? And what are the limits of my submission to the government? These are tough questions. These are difficult questions that I think are facing all of us right now. And as I preach through this text and as we wrestle with this, as you take this home and wrestle with this in your own um, minds and, and as you try to gain a conviction on this, I pray that you would approach this with um, sincerity, with a desire that the truth would be held firm um, and before us. I know that this might some of the things that I say this morning might even make some of you upset. But I pray that we would all have grace and that we would apply what Peter said back in chapter 1, verse 22, when he said that we should love one another with a, few, with a pure heart fervently, that there would be unfeigned love of the brethren. There are churches that are splitting right now. If things get worse, this has the potential of causing divisions and splits even within our own church. And we all need grace, we need wisdom, we need discernment to navigate through these things with grace. I also want to encourage you to consider this text not just in the light of the current circumstances, though that, like I said before, seems to be the elephant in the room, the obvious application that's before us, but also to apply these principles that we will go through this morning in the light of every aspect of your lives. You know, it's easy to sometimes miss the plain teaching of a text by only applying it to the circumstances that we find ourselves in the moment. But the reality is that our circumstances change. And even though our circumstances change, the truth of God's word does not change. It's, as Thomas prayed, it is a firm foundation for us, whether we are in times of peace when everything seems to be going well and makes sense for us, or when emotions are high and there are strong opinions that are abounding. So let's approach this text in that light. So first of all, let's open up with um, establishing the context. So for those of you who missed um, the sermon, like I mentioned, that I preached two Wednesdays ago, um, we began in verse 11 um, with a new section, as it were, to Peter's letter here. Previously, up to this point or, or the, the verses preceding this, he was speaking 
mostly to the way that believers relate to one another, how we interact with one another. And I mentioned already that um, he, he, he lays this foundation that we should have love one to another, unfeigned love of the brethren. He also talks about the necessity for our spiritual growth, that we would grow up together, that we would desire the sincere milk of the word. He goes on to talk about how we're all being built together into a spiritual house, how we are... Um, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. These are all things that relate to um, how we interact with one another and who we are within this fellowship of the body of Christ. But Peter now shifts gears, as it were, in chapter 2, verse 11, to talking about how we relate to the outside world, to the Gentiles, as he refers to them. And he's exhorting these believers to live godly lives among the Gentiles that, as he says here in verse 11, whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the visitation. And the point here is this, that our lives are to be a reflection of the gospel and that that points others, especially unbelievers, to Christ and ultimately brings glory to God, as it says here in the day of visitation. And Peter had confidence, Peter had confidence that even though there are those that would speak evil against and um, would put down and, and persecute these believers as they were doing at this time, he knew that there would be some who would see the faithful testimony of believers, and as a re- result, they would see, they would believe, and they would be saved. Peter had that confidence but the question that comes naturally from that is, and for them and, and for us, is how? How do we actually do that? What does that actually look like to demonstrate that? And Peter gives us the, the answer as he goes now into verse 13, and he, he sort of opens it up in one way that we do this. He sort of lays that foundation at the beginning of verse 13, where he says, Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. The ESV puts it this way. It says, be subject to submit or be subject to every human institution. So in other words, one way that we can have our conversation or our lifestyle honest among the Gentiles is to submit to all of the human structures of authority that God has established, to submit to all of the human structures of authority that God has established, whether that be civil authorities, citizens to the state, whether that be, as he goes into down in verse 18, um, servants and masters, so the application for that would be within our workplaces um, or within um, our schools, he even brings it into the home um, between husbands and wife in chapter 3. He, he applies it in that way. He applies it in all the different spheres of God-given authority instituted by God. And as believers, we are called to function within these God-ordained authority structures in a way that honors and glorifies God and that the world can see that. And Peter will as it were, flesh this, these principles out over these next 20 verses, and specifically in our text that we're dealing with today, how we relate to civil authority. Peter says at the beginning here, the first words, he says, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. What does it mean to submit? 
To submit is literally means to be subject to, to obey, to put oneself under. Um, it's actually used often, or in this even context here, this word is used as a military term to, to arrange or to fashion under the command of a leader. And I think we all, to some degree, have an understanding of what it means to submit and also to have someone under our submission. In different spheres of life, even whatever your age is, um, whatever place that you find yourself in, we, we all have a sense of what it means to submit. We've all held a position of authority at one point or another, whether you're a parent, um, whether you have a position of authority at work, or even so much as training another individual, whether you've been part of a sports team, whatever sphere um, or, or circumstance that you find yourself in in life, I think we've all been in a place where we have understood what it means to be under, submitted under authority or to be in a place of authority. And no one who is in a position of authority is simply looking for outward conformity. That's not simply what you're looking for if you find yourself in a position of authority. But rather, true submission is a, is having a heart of submission. A heart of submission. An inward submission. An attitude of submission. God is always concerned first and foremost, about our heart before our outward submission, as it were. And that's exactly what Peter is referring to here when he says that we should submit. He's not so much only concerned about outward submission, though I think that's important to him, but inward, having an inward heart of submission. And Peter's not simply trying to load on, as it were, um, burdens for these believers, that there's sort of this duty of outward submission to man-made rules, and you you have to follow these things, otherwise you're not measuring up. I don't think that's the heart of what Peter is getting across here. But rather, he desires an inward heart of submission that reflects the heart of God, willingly, joyfully submitting to God-ordained authority. And personally, I struggle with that. And I think many of us struggle with that fact when we consider our lives and there's, there's something inside of us that says, I don't want to submit. And, and it, it comes from that nature. And, and we look even back into the garden and we see Adam and Eve and how they, they didn't want to submit to God in, and in, in obeying him and his instructions. And it drove them to disobey God. They wanted to, in essence, be like God and not under his authority. And we all have that human Nature, that fallen nature that we got from Adam and Eve in the garden. But Peter says, no, brothers and sisters, you've been redeemed. Your life has been transformed. You don't have that old nature anymore. God has given you a new nature, and now you should submit. You should lay down your rights and be subject to every God-ordained authority for the Lord's sake. And that's how Peter wraps up this first opening statement with his God-centered motivation. He says, submit yourself to every ordinance of man. Why? For the Lord's sake. Why do we do this? We do this because we love the Lord. And Peter knows that for those who truly love the Lord, this will stir their heart. This will touch their hearts. And when you don't feel like submitting to authority, when I don't feel like submitting to authority, I need to remember that I submit not for my own sake, not just to avoid the consequences 
of not submitting, but for the Lord's sake, to honor him because we love him. Now, when it comes to submitting to authority, the reality is that for me, and I think for all of us, I don't just struggle with that. I fail in that area. We all fail in the area of submitting to God-ordained authority. Who here has kept the law of God perfectly? None of us has. No one has. All of us have, at one point in our lives, um, disobeyed our parents or cut corners when someone asked us to do something or maybe texted while driving or paid cash under the table to avoid taxes. Whatever the whatever it is, and there's many examples that we could bring up, but I bring up these examples not to justify us, not to say that, oh, we all, we all fail in this area and it's okay, everybody does it. It's, it's not okay, and the scriptures makes that clear. But even in the midst of that struggle and that failure to submit and sometimes the guilt that comes on with that, and God's convicted me of things and it has brought guilt in my life that I've had to deal with and correct things in my life that I knew were not honoring him. Even though sometimes we have that guilt and we feel that we don't measure up, I want to encourage you this morning with the truth of the gospel that even though we strive to submit with a heart of submission, even in that we must look to Christ as the one who did it perfectly. And I would encourage you to always look to Christ as the one who did it perfectly. You know, the scripture says, um, Christ, speaking of him in his early life, it says that he was subject to his parents. Think about that for a second. Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of this universe, who created all things, when he came to this earth, he put himself under the submission or the subjection of his earthly parents. He placed himself under their authority and he submitted willingly. He submitted perfectly. Why? Because he understood what this principle meant the importance of submitting to God-ordained authority. Christ is our example. Christ is our model. And we live, and he is the one who lived the life that we never could. So I'd encourage you this morning, in all of these things, as you seek to apply these things, to look to Christ as your example and to strive to submit to all human structures or institutions of authority that have been established by God with a heart of submission and for the Lord's sake. And remember that we only have the power to do this because Christ is the one who submitted for us perfectly. Now, I want to just spend the next few minutes to explain as clearly as I can um, what it is that Peter is actually saying in these verses um, regarding submission to civil authority, um, who it is that we should submit to, why we should submit. And he begins with the, the who, um, and he, he lays this out very clearly um, in verses 13 and 14. He says, submit to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. And then he says who? Whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. So he's talking here about submission to civil authorities. And he begins with the king, um, as he says, as supreme, as the highest authority. So for us in this country, that would be our prime minister. Um, In our neighbors to the south, that would be the president. In the day that Peter was writing this, that would be the emperor. 
Whatever system of authority that you find yourselves in, civil authority that you find yourselves in, we are to submit from the highest to the king. He says down to the governors. He says or unto governors. So that would be um, more local authorities. So in this city that we live in, that would be our mayor. That would be the local officials um, that we find ourselves in. That would be the police services, the bylaw officers, whatever local um, authorities that there are, from, from the king down to the governors. Essentially what he's saying is all civil authority, from the top to the bottom, all of it. We are to submit, we are to be in subjection to them. And the, one of the questions we ask is, where did these authorities come from? And Peter referred to them here as human institutions or ordinances of man. So these are authority structures that are organized, that are ruled by man, but established by God. They are organized and ruled by man, but established by God. He says in verse 14 at the end, whether it be to king, the king as supreme, or governors, as unto them that are sent by him. Who's the him that he's referring to here? He's referring to God. And he's saying that all of these authorities, from the king down to, as the highest authority, to the bylaw officer as the lowest authority, and everything in between, all authority is ultimately established and ordained by God. Romans 13 also makes reference to this. It says, Let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, and the powers, sorry, there is no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained by God. Therefore, whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And this is a very important point, especially as we get to some of the points of application, just understanding every structure of God-ordained authority. And in this case here, understanding that God is the one who established and ordained civil authority. And God has given them the power and the authority to carry out their God-given purposes. And what is their purpose? Well, verse 14, the end of verse 14 tells us that. It says, for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. One of the primary functions of civil government is law and order, the protection of its citizens, the well-being of its citizens, as it says here, for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. And it's amazing for me, as I, as I look around and I, I watch the news and I see everything that's going on, um, especially down in the United States, um, with the movements that are happening and the riots and these calls to defund the police, there's this sense of, of rebellion that's going on against the institution of authority, the God-ordained institutions of authority. And we see such, such irony, such um, imbalance as we, we see that in, in some ways, in many ways, the government is overstepping the limits of their power, yet neglecting their primary God-given responsibility. But the scripture is clear that the fundamental responsibility of the civil government is, as it says here, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. And then again in Romans 13, it says that the government is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon them that doeth evil. Now I acknowledge that in many cases governments don't do this, especially you look in in some third world countries and, and, and other, you know, many governments in this world that are corrupted 
And there is no justice. The government is not actually fulfilling their God-given responsibility. And Peter's not ignorant of this fact. In fact, he's actually writing this in a time when the empire that they lived in, the Roman Empire, was ruled by Nero, one of the most corrupt and selfish and godless leaders that you can imagine. A man who who burnt down Rome for his own pleasure, as it were, to gain his own, um, what he wanted. But, still, even in Peter's mind, this did not make a difference for him. He still says, submit. He still says to these believers, submit, be subject, honor them for the Lord's sake. Whether they're, whether they're fulfilling their God-given responsibilities in an honorable way or not, we are called to honor them. We are called to submit to them. All of those God-given authorities. And I understand that there are limitations to this, and we'll get to that in the points of application. But just because someone is in authority and is corrupted does not mean that we do not need to honor them. Even if you have parents that do not always act in an honorable way, the scriptures is clear that we still need to submit to them and to honor and obey them. If you have a boss at work that is not a good boss, who is unjust, we need, you need to submit to them. It says in verse, four, in verse 18, he says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Even if they are unjust, we are called to submit. And Peter will go into more detail of how we should actually do that um, and when we get to chapter 3. But then in verse 15, he moves on to the motivation. He says, For so is the will of God, that with all or that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So he gives us two motivations here. Motivation number one for us as believers is a desire to do the will of God. This is a Godward motivation that we are to have. Why do we submit? Firstly and foremost, we submit because it is the will of God. For so is the will of God, as it says. And as children of God, we desire to do his will. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. It is the desire of his children, his true children, to submit to the will of their Father. And then there's a second motivation here. He says, it's a more of a horizontal or manward motivation of the impact that it will have on others. He says, For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So our submission to God-ordained authorities has a purpose. And what is that purpose? It, it, it fits well within the broader purpose that, that Peter has here, to silence the ignorance of foolish men, of those who would speak evil against us that he referred to earlier, that our witness, that them, their witness of our submission would silence them, would, in a sense, muzzle them or, or, or cause them to have nothing to say against us. And again, it links back to this broader purpose of that our lives are to be a living testimony to the gospel, to an unbelieving world. And by the grace of God, we've been set free from the bondage of sin and of the law to actually do this. And we can now freely submit our lives and our wills to the purposes of God, as it says in verse 16, as free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness or an excuse to do evil, 
but as the servants of God. We are now the servants or the slaves of God, and we are free, truly free, to follow his directives. We are to, as it says in verse 17, to honor all men, to love the brotherhood, to fear God, and to honor the king. Now, I understand that this all sounds, when it's sort of laid out before us, sounds pretty clear and straightforward. But what happens when it's put to the test? I think for a lot of us, it's being tested right now in the circumstances that we find ourselves in, in ways that we probably didn't imagine would come, at least in this country. And we're faced and having to deal with this principle, this truth of Scripture, and applying it now to our lives. How do we respond to the current demands of our government? What do we do when the civil authorities are, in our minds, being unreasonable? And how should the church and its members respond to the government's mandates? These are hard, hard questions, and I've struggled with these things. It takes a lot of careful thought and biblical discernment to know how to respond and to apply these principles in the current circumstance that we find ourselves in. And I'll be the first one to say that I don't have all the answers to those questions. You know, each of us needs to struggle through these things and decide for ourselves and and gain a biblical conviction on what the right thing is to do in these circumstances. All that I can do this morning for you and encourage you with is to guide you to the truth of scripture and to point you to those things that we know from the word of God that are certain. And as I wrap up with these applications, I pray um, that you and I would approach all of these things with a heart of submission, not out of duty, not out of a sense of feeling that I have to do these things, but with a desire to truly honor the Lord, to do it for the Lord's sake. So, when it comes to submitting to authority in a broad sense, ultimately, for us as believers, Christ is our highest authority. Christ is our highest authority. Jesus said of himself in Matthew chapter 28, All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Jesus is the one who rules over all things, and he is ultimately the one that we submit to in all things. And as members of the body of Christ, we know that Christ is the head, and we submit to him first and foremost. And even though God has established and ordained different institutions of authority, whether that be state authority, whether that be within society that we talked about, whether that be the institution of the authority of the church or the family, each of these with their own different spheres of authority, ultimately Christ rules over all of these authority structures. And the early church understood this very well. In Acts chapter 4, it says, and this is actually um, how, how Peter, you know, related to this, Peter and John, it says, and they called them and commanded them. So this is when the, the um, Jewish leaders had brought them before um, their group, as it were, or their authority, um, to, to 
tell them or to command them to not speak of Christ. It says, and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And then later on in chapter 5, it says, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest said, and high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intended to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. So we can see clearly here that first and foremost, our highest duty is to obey God, to obey Christ and his word. And I think a beautiful or perfect example of that is in Daniel chapter 6, um, when Daniel, and we don't have time to, to read the account, but basically um, Darius made a decree that no one could pray to any other god for 30 days except to pray unto the king. And we see how Daniel responded to that. Daniel, an an exemplary example of one who submitted to authority. Daniel said in verse 10 of chapter 6, he says, Now then, or it says of Daniel, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened to his chamber towards Jerusalem, he knelt down upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Notice Daniel's boldness here. Notice that he didn't hide anything. Because Daniel understood very clearly that what the king was commanding was in violation to God's command and was also outside of the realm of his authority. Daniel understood that very clearly. Remember, he was faultless. It says in the earlier verses that he was perfect and faultless in all of his duties. They could find no fault in him. And that's why these other princes came up with this clever way to, um, as it were, to, to find fault in him. But Daniel did not fall for that. He, he, he was always submissive. But when it came to violating the clear commands of God that were outside of the king's sphere of authority... He disobeyed without reservation. It was not within the king's rights or his sphere of authority to command that. So when we ask ourselves the question of when is it legitimate for us to disobey civil authorities, I think the same would apply for us, whether it's whether they command us to directly violate that within the scripture or whether their commands exceeds the God-given boundaries of their authority. So, for example, the government has no right for to tell me how to raise my children. That's not their, for me as a parent, that's not their jurisdiction of how, they, how I am to raise my children. That is my God-given authority. So if the government begins to infringe upon that, I have the authority to say no as a parent. In the same way that I don't have the authority, I have no right to exercise judgment on a criminal. You know, I don't go around the streets and, you know, try to find robbers and arrest them. That's not my job. That's not my jurisdiction. That's the government's jurisdiction. So when the government exceeds the boundaries of their God-given authority, I have the right, biblically, 
to disobey, still with a heart of submission, still desiring to submit to authority, but knowing that I can't, I can't do it because my highest authority is God's authority. And Daniel clearly understood that. And I believe Daniel had, clearly by the testimony of his life, he had that heart of submission. But when it came to being tested, he knew where that line was and he stood firm to it, even though it put him into the lion's den. But let's look at it from another angle here. What if the government's being unreasonable? What if their command is not in direct violation, but we feel that they are being unreasonable in their demands? Still within their jurisdiction, but it's just not reasonable in our minds. Well, this question came up in Jesus' day. Um, The Pharisees came to Jesus, and it was a question that related to taxes. Um, The Jews were under Roman rule at this time, and many of them were upset about that fact. Their rule was, in many ways, oppressive. It was not fair from their perspective. And the Jewish leaders came to Jesus and asked him a question. Luke chapter 20, it says, they asked Jesus, they said, is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar or no? And Jesus said to them, answers their question so wisely, he says, show me a penny. Whose image and subscription hath it? And they answered and said unto him, Caesar's. And he said unto them, render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. What was Jesus saying here when he said this? I think he was referring to a few different things. But one of the things that Jesus was saying is, when it comes to the government, even though you feel that their demands of tribute are unreasonable, and perhaps they were, in fact, likely they were, he still says that is their God-given jurisdiction. God has given them that power. God has placed them there. Remember, he's the one who places every power and ordains every power to be. And he said, God has given them that power right now. You must submit to them. So as we now apply this to our own circumstance, in terms of the restrictions that we find ourselves upon right now, things like wearing a mask um, in public places, in the store, in the workplace, and, and I'm speaking right now for myself, where God has brought me to. As much as I think it's unnecessary, as much as I feel that it is unreasonable, I believe that within the God-ordained jurisdiction of the government, I should apply as much as I can to the requirements of the civil authorities within their jurisdiction. Do I think it's unnecessary? Yes, I do. You know, when you look at the numbers, they don't make sense to me at all. Is this part of a conspiracy to control people? Maybe. Could likely be. I don't know. But that doesn't really make a difference. My mandate from the Lord is clear. And I'm trying, as though I'm struggling, I'm trying to submit with a heart of submission to the God-ordained authority. And I'm not telling you what to do here. Each of you need to wrestle with this yourself. And you need to have conviction for yourself. But biblically, this is what I believe that in this particular circumstance, I'm called to do. Now, on the other hand, if we just use the mask example, I don't have my kids wear a mask. Why? Because for me as a parent, I don't think it's healthy for them. 
And if it means that I can't take them certain places, then I, I won't take them there. And, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, for, for my wife and I, we, we've chosen to homeschool our children. I don't want them to be in school. I want to keep them under my authority, at least at this point in their life. But let's now take this in another sphere. Let's, let's consider this in another sphere of authority. How about within the church? What influence should the government have within the church? And to what degree should the church submit to the government's authority? You know, regarding things like building codes and other civil regulations that deal with physical things, I think it is appropriate that the government has some level of authority. In fact, or the reality is that, that this building is located within their city, within their jurisdiction. But when it comes to spiritual matters, the civil authority, the government, has no authority. Zero authority. Just like they have zero authority over my children. The church belongs to Christ. Christ is the head of the church. He is the one who instituted it. He is the one who established it. He is the one who gave it its authority. It's God-ordained authority. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, Upon this rock will I build my church. And then later on he says, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The church of Jesus Christ has been given God-ordained authority. With Christ as the head, with elders and pastors to oversee the church. There's an establishment of authority. Peter refers to that later on in chapter 5 when he says, the elders that are among you I exhort to feed the flock of God which are among you, to take oversight thereof. So there's a God-ordained authority structure even within the church. And ultimately the church is made up of all of its individual members. They collectively are the church. God has given the church authority. So, what do we do when the government mandates start to infringe, start to take hold on or to control things like our worship, our fellowship, our singing, other functions, other ministries within the church? Even in the name of our well-being, what do we do in that situation? When we read scriptures like, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Or in Colossians it says, Let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart. How do we reconcile these commands of scriptures with the demands of the government that infringe on these spiritual matters? What do we do? I think biblically, when it comes to the government's mandates on the church, ultimately, the authority rests in the church to say we will or we will not comply with your demands that infringe on these spiritual matters. Now, that's not to say that if a church feels that complying with the government's mandates for a time is the best thing, that may be the case. And they can do that, just like I can have my child wear a mask. If, I, if the government's telling me 
my, me that I should have my children wear a mask, and I feel that that's appropriate, that's within my jurisdiction to allow that to happen. I can do that. That's my decision as a parent, my God-given authority. And in the same way, when it comes to spiritual matters, the church has the highest authority, not the state. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, but unto God the things that are God's. So for those who feel that we should be following all of the government mandates here in church, I don't, I don't want to say that you're in error. Um, in fact, that those feelings may actually be coming from a heart of submission that, 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 that reads this and says, we need to do this, it, and, and, and a real genuine submission in your heart. And in, in that sense, it's very good. But biblically, biblically, I want you to know that when it comes to the government controlling spiritual matters, things like worship and fellowship and our singing and the other ministries, essential ministries within the church, the government, the civil authority does not have the final authority. The church does. I don't know what the future holds. Will the government tighten their grip of control if a second or a third wave comes in this pandemic? How will the church respond if that happens? What will we do if they decide to shut down churches again and for a longer or more extended period of time? I don't have all the answers to these questions, and I struggle with many of these things. How to appropriately apply these biblical principles to the context that we find ourselves in. And, and I ask that you would pray for us as leaders that um, we would, that God would give us wisdom and grace to make biblical decisions through this time because it is a high calling. And we all need to examine our hearts and our motives when it comes to submission to authority. Remember, God is most concerned, God is most concerned about our hearts. You can wear a mask in church and wear a mask everywhere, 24-7, but if you have a heart of rebellion, it means nothing. But God's desire, and my desire for each of you, brothers and sisters, is that each of us would have a heart of submission, that we would learn and that we would desire to submit appropriately to all God-ordained authority, every institution of man that God has ordained for the Lord's sake and for his glory. And may God give us the grace to do that and wisdom as we navigate through these times. May God bless his word to each of us this morning. Amen.